0: For the sake of an anointing to bring good news. For the sake of a proclamation of the year of the Lord's favor. For the sake of oil of gladness instead of mourning. Of praise instead of a faint spirit. For the sake of being able to greatly rejoice in the Lord and to exult in our God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. sitting before this uh, jewel of a song from Isaiah, realizing in the first place that it's the third in a row that we've had from Isaiah in our Sunday morning lectionaries. We began two weeks ago with tear open the heavens and come down and fix the mass And last week, words of comfort even in uncomfortable situations. And now this, this just outbreak of praise and joy, I couldn't help but think a lot about the setting into which Isaiah wrote this. He's writing to Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel. The northern kingdom has already been taken into Assyrian exile. Isaiah has bad news for for Judah. You're going into exile too. The Babylonians are going to take you and it's going to be, you're going to be there a long time before you are brought back, But, but hold on. And he, he's writing to a nation that is faint of spirit, mourning, seeing the armies about to take them away. And he says, rejoice. I couldn't help but think of um, a number of years ago when Sherry and I were house parents at a home for dependent neglected children in the, in the main line of Philadelphia. It's a rich suburb that had a lot of city kids brought out and, and um, well, they were trying to find, give them a, a better life than, than they had um, back home. But it was hard. It was hard on the kids. <laughs> it was hard on those of us who were their house parents. It was a residential setting instead of shift work. So when you were with the kids, you were with them round the clock. And uh, one of our coworkers, let's call her Clara. She had a really, really rough weekend with her 9- to 11-year-old boys. There were like 10 9- to 11-year-old boys. And often those, that's a fun age, but every once in a while there's just, I don't know, this bad virus goes around and they're just all bad. And they were, this weekend they were all just bad. They were ornery. They wouldn't do their chores. They were arguing, fighting with each other and arguing back and yeah, 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 yeah. And Clara just said, I was just ready to just, I was, I was done. I was just ready to give up. And then the meanest kid of the lot, somehow he gets a bouquet of flowers and brings it to her and says, Miss Clara, we love you. And she just melted in tears. And that little bouquet, she said, gave her a way to get through. What we got here is a bouquet in the midst of, of an ugly situation, a, a chance to get some strength and to, and to carry on and, and to not give up. And Not only is this the third in a row of the songs that we've been doing from Isaiah, but it's the capstone of the three major sections of Isaiah. Just hold on for a second. You'll love this. The first 39 chapters of Isaiah... Isaiah reflects on the king who's going to come and fix things, the son who will be born, and the government will be on his shoulders for good. Chapters 40 through 55, that's when he talks about the comfort that's going to come because a servant will come, and he will bear his people's sins and their guilt and their shame. It will all go into him. He will suffer on their behalf, and the unrighteous will be made righteous. Comfort. And now in chapters 56 through 66 at the end, we get a window into not just the fact that sin will be taken care of, but the dead, the dispirited will be brought back to life, and those who just lost any spirit will have spirit breathe back into them because their Messiah will not only be their king and will not only be their sin bearer, but will be their life breather and will breathe the life of God back into them and give them strength and energy for the ultimate return from exile. And it, it's just it's gorgeous. And not only that. This is one of the songs that shaped Jesus' own self-understanding when he was among us. This is the passage that he chooses to read in the synagogue at Capernaum. The Spirit of the Lord has come upon me. And this passage forecasts three wonderful things about the Jesus whose coming we look back on, we enjoy now, And we look forward to in Advent three things about Jesus and a a takeaway for from each of those each of them for us. First, the Messiah receives his anointing and his vesting because he knows he depends upon the Spirit's power. The Messiah himself depends upon the Spirit's power. Second. He gives himself to bringing in the year of the Lord's favor. He doesn't come to bring the day of vengeance. He comes to inaugurate a season of favor, of good news. And third, the Messiah comes and he adopts a posture of joy because he knows his work is destined to succeed. First, he receives his anointing and his vesting Because he knows he depends upon the Spirit's power. When does Jesus receive his anointing? Baptism. Got a gold star right there, Ms. Nichols. At his anointing, Jesus receives power from on high. Imagine, God himself has strapped sandals to his… He's taken our skin… And strapped sandals to his feet and walked around among us. It's himself dependent upon power to come upon him. He, ta- he assumes an office of king and priest. He doesn't assume it for himself. It's bestowed upon him, and he receives he receives an anointing with power and a vesting with authority. Did you ever notice? that we don't have a single record of a miracle done by Jesus until after his baptism. It's the baptism, the coming upon him and into him of that mysterious third person of the Trinity that energizes his ministry. And you know what? You and I have received a similar power and commission in our baptism. The question, in, in, the question asked of John the Baptist is, like, you're not baptizing. Uh, you, you're, you, you are the, we expect the Messiah to, the, I'm sorry, you're baptizing. And the one we expect to be baptizing is the Messiah. They learn that from Isaiah because in Isaiah 52, it talks about this, suffering, this mysterious servant coming to sprinkle the nations. Well, you're, you're doing what we expect the Messiah to do. And John told the people, "Remember, well, I just baptized in water, but one comes after me who will baptize in water and the Holy Spirit. You and I have received that baptism that is what I love about the symbolism of our baptisms that it comes with, with all due respect to my dear brothers and sisters in the in the Baptist world who do the immersion and the union with Christ and his death. That's, that's a wonderful picture. But this is a wonderful picture too, because this pictures the water, the washing coming from on high, and then the oil that comes from above and marks you with the cross and says, You are marked, sealed as a child of the covenant, commissioned to go and minister. He receives his anointing and his vesting because he knows he depends upon the Spirit's power. Brothers and sisters, if he depends upon power from on high, don't think that you can pull yourself up by the bootstraps and just make yourself a better person. Don't think the good that you wish to do in the world, you can do on your own. Brothers and sisters, we're weak vessels. All we have. And that's all that we need is the washing of renewal and generation and the anointing from on high. And so I urge you this season, lean into the Spirit who mysteriously makes the incarnate Jesus present to you and me and gives us strength and power when we're about to give up. Secondly, the Messiah gives himself to bringing in the year of God's favor. When Jesus reads this passage, he breaks it off at this point and doesn't say the day of vengeance of our God. He realizes that he's been sent on a, on a special mission, not to make everything right once and for all because then everybody gets blasted. He comes to bring in an age of God's good favor. Israel's, Israel's calendar in the law was laid out this way. Six days of labor, a day of rest. Then six years of labor and a year of rest, in which debts are forgiven. Indentured servants are set free. And then after seven cycles of seven years, 49 years, you have an extra year, a 50th year, the year of Jubilee. When even land that's been sold goes back to the original owners that it was given to when Israel came into the promised land, debts forgiven, all slaves set free, liberty in the land. It's the verse from Leviticus 25 that's on our liberty bell: "Proclaim liberty throughout the land. It's, it's the, the instrument that, that brings in that, that day is the shofar that we blow every Easter vigil. Well, that was really bad, but I saw somebody nodding off, and I couldn't have it. (laughs) Liberty for the land. Jesus believes he's brought in a season. Daniel then unfolds history as the cycle of sevens. And Daniel says that that cycle begins when the Son of Man comes from on high and puts an end to sacrifice in the temple and inherits all authority over the nations. Well, duh, what does Jesus do? He becomes that Son of Man who has put an end to sacrifice because he's offered the one that we needed and now, in, and now has inaugurated this great season of grace And of good news. And so moved by the plight of the imprisoned and the discouraged, the oppressed and the dispirited, Jesus moves among us. Now for sure, he confronts hypocrisy. And he overturns tables of greed in the temple. But the baseline of his ministry is reaching out God's compassionate hand. Give me a drink, he says to the woman at the well. And it becomes the occasion for a conversation about his becoming living water. Do you want to be healed, he asks the man who's been lying beside the healing waters for 38 years. And it becomes the occasion for him overriding the man's sloth and discouragement and giving him the healing that he doesn't even dare to really go for himself. He becomes the light of the world to the man who is born blind. He raises Lazarus from the dead and says, I'm the resurrection and the life. He doesn't just tell Peter that he's going to fail. But he tells Peter that even while you're failing, I'm going to be praying for you. And then when he rises from the dead, he gives Peter a chance to reverse the betrayals. Not by saying I'm going to do better next time, but Jesus, you know I love you. That's all he wants. He comes to bring good news for you and me. What does that mean? Well, in an age of toxicity and anger, it means we're the bringers of good news and hope and encouragement. This looking for the power and the anointing of the Spirit and this commitment to loving and breathing Spirit where there is this spirit reminds me of another friend. This friend, her mother's name, well, let's call her Clara. Clara is older, and Clara winds up having to take care of her even older mother towards the end of her mother's life. Clara's mother is not ambulatory, Clara takes her into her own home, and Clara's mother has to stay downstairs, so Clara lives upstairs, and Clara's mother is constantly calling on her, would you come down and do this, my food, I drop this, everything, Clara's mom needed to have done for her. So Clara just got used to going up and down the stairs, and that, you know, that, even, that it wears you out. One night, Clara was going back upstairs, having done everything she knew to do for her mom. And she heard her mom cry out in a real feeble voice, Clara. And she had this passing thought. You know, this one time I could just, I could just leave it and come take care of whatever it is in the morning. But What happens when you know the anointing and the presence of the Spirit and your heart's set is not to your own interest but to the interest of others is she heard this voice that say, no, turn around, go back down the stairs. She held her mom in her arms and she had the privilege of sitting there while Clara's mom breathed her last breath and she saw the light go out of her eyes and she thought what an honor it was to be here. An anointing, the power of your baptism, the presence of the Holy Spirit in you and me gives us that sensitivity to hear that voice And the shape that our lives are called to because he came for the imprisoned and the discouraged and the oppressed gives us that willingness even when we're just exhausted and just want to fall into bed to respond when we hear the voice. Clara? And third, our Messiah adopts a posture of joy because he knows that his work is destined to succeed. He, we could talk a, a, lot, a lot a lot longer. If this were the Presbyterian 45-minute sermon, which it's not, I hope. We could talk about rebuilding the ruins. But what, what I notice, what I notice is the note of joy at the end of Isaiah's passage, is the confidence that just as the earth brings forth its shoots, And as a garden causes what is sown in it to spring up, so the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all nations. As Jesus went about Palestine doing good, he knew that he wasn't going to be healing every paralytic in Palestine. He knew when he went to the cross. What he knew as he went to the cross was that, as he said, Every one that the Father has given to me will come to me. And there's a certain equipoise and a certain equanimity and a certain lack of defensiveness that comes when you know that you've been equipped and called to do that which and only which the Father has given you to do. And everything else is above your pay grade. He He didn't know when he was coming back. He just knew he was called to love, and he knew that it was the Father's job to cause the response by the Spirit in the lives of people around him. And it just gave him contentment and peace. The psalm says, teach us to number our days. Psalm 139, which we read two days ago at Mabel Sturgis' funeral, says, in your book were written all the days that were found for me. Mildred, I'm sorry, Mabel Sturgis. Mildred, I'm going to get to you in a minute. You're still fine. I didn't get Mildred's permission to say her name, but I'm going to say it. And I'll, get, I'll, I'll apologize later. Our dear sister, Mabel Sturgis, we committed to the Lord's tender care this week. Mabel Sturgis lived 106 wonderful years. She lived exactly as long as the Lord wanted her to live. And collected as many beautiful Easter hats as the Lord wanted her to collect. She made as many rum cakes as the Lord wanted her to make and pickled as many pickles as the Lord wanted her to pickle. Just enough so that according at least to Michael Matheny, now the heavenly banquet that we're all looking forward to is going to include rum cake and pickles. And uh, here's where you come in, Mildred. Her legacy of her Easter hats, like Friday I'm up here trying to do everything I can to hold together. And I look out and there's Mildred Bowman with a bright red Mabel Sturgis hat on. I I knew what that meant for Mabel and I know what that means for Mildred, a retired music teacher who just loves joyful music. And she who wears red because it's a color of joy. When you know that your days are numbered and that they're in the Lord's hand and he's not going to ask you to do any more than he has given you to do, and he will get it done through you, you can smile and you can rejoice. And you can say to your neighbors who don't really know, Merry Christmas, a blessed Advent, and a Merry Christmas to come. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.